Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hopefully all of you had a great holiday weekend. Enjoyed yourself. He's Greg. I am Nick. We'll get into the thick of it in a minute. But first, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel, exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. Greg, let's start in your backyard at Boston Sports Journal. Mike Giardi had a report this week that Bill Belichick has expressed doubt about his future in New England to the staff at various points over the last few weeks. And to the best of Mike's knowledge, he has yet to, uh, he as in Belichick, has yet to sit down with ownership about his future. What can you tell us about the latest on Kraft uh, and, and what's going on there at Gillette Stadium? So uh, I haven't talked to uh, Mike about his report. Um, I'm just trying to imagine like how Belichick would, you know, sort of do that. I guess, you know, he might be talking, could be something related to guys having opportunities with other jobs. We saw Ross Douglas, the assistant wide receivers coach, uh, go to Syracuse to become a coach there. Um, it could be something, you know, along those lines. Um, you know, what I could tell you is that, um, you know, and just like Tom Pelissero reported Mike, um, Kraft and Belichick have not spoken yet. They haven't had like a big meeting. I, I think, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think it's it something should be broached before the season finale, not to, not to have some sort of send off for Belichick or something like that. I just think they need to start the process. I mean, if, you know, from what I understand and we've talked about it, um, I think Belichick is going to go in on the offensive with Kraft, that he is going to anticipate that Kraft is, you know, that Kraft is going to be thinking or is thinking that it's time to move in a different direction, um, likely with, you know, a new head coach. However, the alignment goes as far as GM and things like that, you know, we'll have to see what Kraft has in mind. But I think Bill goes into the meeting knowing that, that that's the direction that Robert wants to go. Belichick is going to have a counter. Um, You know, could that be, uh, I think it would be along the lines. The only thing that I can really think of of the possibilities is that Bill goes in there and says, you know, yeah, you know, we're here mostly because of personnel and that's my fault to this point. I'm in charge of that. Um, We've tried sort of half measures if you want to hire a GM, I'm good with that, but I want it to be somebody that I know and somebody that I trust, somebody who sees the game the same way as me because it doesn't really work otherwise. So here's a list of guys that I would be okay with, and it sort of puts Kraft in a tough spot. Like, you know, you know, does he really want to move on from Kraft? You know, what I could tell you is that talking to people this week, uh, the phrase, the word conflicted keeps coming up with Robert Kraft. Now, does that mean that he's second guessing things? 
you know, I don't know. I can tell you that he has started the process or is in the process of talking to people about what to do about the Patriots, what to do more moving forward. It's something we talked about about a month ago that we advocated for that Robert needs to start talking to people. You know, if it's even people just in his own backyard, like, you know, a Josh McDaniels or a Dave Ziegler or, you know, who are Bob Quinn, John Robinson, guys who used to be here who were let go at other places who aren't really doing very much, who have been around the league, you know, take their temperature. What do you think? What do you think of Bill as a coach? What do you think about Bill as a GM? What do you think about the offense? What what direction is the NFL going? How much do we have to catch up? That, those sort of things. So I think those conversations are going on. But from what I understand that, that you know, I don't think – Kraft has reached the ultimate conclusion on Bill. He definitely doesn't want to have to part ways with him. I think he's come to the realization that he he likely has to, that he's been there for a while. But um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen at the end of the day. I you know I think Jonathan Kraft probably is stronger. It's certainly the emotion, uh, the more emotional of the two. And I think he's probably been in the camp for a while that the Patriots need to move forward. They need to do, they need a fresh restart. And whereas Kraft's a lot more sentimental and, you know, the, the Super Bowl titles and, you know, Brady's gone and now Belichick's going to be gone. Like, you know, do I really want my name on that? So I, you know, Nick, I, I don't really, at the end of the day, I don't know what's going to happen. I still think that there are a lot of things in motion, a lot of plays to be made. Yeah, I think I, I, I talked about last week that it's like Game of Thrones behind the scenes. There's a yeah. lot of, you know, I don't know who Littlefinger is, um, you know, but uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of things going on. You know, when I, I listened to uh, Tom Pellicero's report over the weekend and what you just said and, and what you've said before, which is, you know, c- could they have these conversations? Could Kraft be calling people and, and get ahead of this thing? It certainly feels like Kraft is getting his ducks in a row and he's got his mm-hmm. finger on the trigger, but he still hasn't yet fully pulled the trigger yet. But wh- when you look at these conversations that Kraft is likely having, he's talking about the future of the organization. You know, he's talking about moving forward. And you're not doing that unless you have your finger at least on that trigger. And you're at least thinking thoroughly and seriously about moving forward without Belichick, which is exactly what he should be doing. So it does have a ducks in a row feel to it. The other part of it, Greg, that I look at is, all right, you bring in a GM from the outside. How much does that change things? If if Belichick's pitch is, oh, let's bring in John Robinson, like mm-hmm. it's it's still like-minded Belichick inner circle think tank kind of stuff. And if you bring somebody from the outside who had a touch of experience in doing like an Adam Peters, is Belichick going to actually go along with the plan? Like Adam Peters could draft a guy and say, all right, he's he's a right. true legit wide receiver one, and Belichick could bury the dude on the bench because he fumbled. He mm-hmm. could say, okay, this guy's a third down running back. I want him out there. And Belichick could say, uh, kickoff returner, special teams. Like he he could completely just ruin that guy's plan. So how much does it change? Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you. I mean, I I am a big proponent of there has to be alignment and um, it's either one of two ways, either, you know, the, the GM is under the, the strong head coach and the GM basically is, working in tandem with the head coach to find the people that he wants. And the, and the head coach basically at the end of the day has final say, 
Um, New England's been that to a point. I mean, obviously it's, it's Bill deciding on everything, but the, you know, the other version is the strong GM who hires the head coach. And it's like, you know, we've met, we get along or we have some sort of background and uh, I'm going to pick the players. He's under my supervision, that sort of thing. I think there has to be alignment. The shotgun marriages does not work. It's what's going on with Vrabel right now in Tennessee between Vrabel and Rand Carthon. We've seen other, the Jets did this all the time. Um, you know, like John Idzik and whoever the hell the, the head coach, I, I don't know if Ryan was there at the end of that. Like these shotgun marriages just don't work. There has to be alignment. And, you know, I agree with you that, um, you know, Kraft at the end of the day has to think about what's best for the Patriots. And he has to look at his football team and see where are they deficient? Are they deficient in, you know, coaching or game planning and stuff like that? No, I don't. But that's, that's not, you know, a majority of the game anymore. It might've been in the 1980s or the nineties, but it's not anymore. And, you know, you need horses, you need players. And I think, I think that if, if Bill is able to sway Kraft, if he senses any sort of softening on Kraft's part, I think Bill's going to not much is going to change at all. I think it's just it's just going to be window dressing on on what has been the, the, the issues around here. I think that, you know, if I were Kraft, I would start with, all right, personnel is our biggest failing. Yep. How do we rectify that? Who are the who are the best and brightest, you know, from the 49ers and the chiefs and the Ravens and the, you know, what have you, the Eagles, you know, talk to the best and brightest, figure out who is the person to move forward to advance the Patriots in player evaluation, analytics, salary cap management, bring them into the modern age so that they're fighting the same fight with everybody else on the same ground. In a lot of ways they've been behind and, and that's led to this. And then go, then the decisions go from there. If the if the GM wants to work with Belichick, that's up to them and that's on them. But you know, you can't you can't let Bill say, all right, he's gonna bring Dave Ziegler back and but Ziegler's gonna just do what Bill wants because he knows if he if he drafts somebody that Bill doesn't like, Bill's gonna bury him. So, you know, where would that lead the Patriots at the end of the day? Even worse, probably in my opinion. Belichick can't touch personnel. Simple as that. Can't touch it. Mm-hmm. Should not be allowed to touch it at all, as far away as possible. And if it's an idea of hey, he can be head coach with a different GM, I just think that gets murky. It muddies the it muddies the waters. Belichick has absolutely no right to call the personnel shots anymore, based off of his draft record from 2015 and on, based on the free agency decisions, even this last offseason, DeAndre Hopkins, Jacoby Myers. We've been through all of that. He has no right to have say in personnel outside of being a coach. And, you know, the GM asked him about a player. Sure. That happens in the league all the time for all 32. But as far as him calling the shots or having any kind of power within that front office framework, get out of my face with that. Doesn't deserve it anymore. And, and if you stick with that, I don't know what changes offensively. And we'll get into Bailey Zappi in a little bit, but I, I don't know how much the world changes if Bill Belichick is still calling the shots. I don't think it changes much at all. Still think he got six or seven guys devoted to special teams. I still think he, uh, you know, underappreciates the quarterback position. All of the things we've discussed. 
I do want to go back to the Belichick stuff, though, Greg, about him talking to his staff. Why now? Like, why over the last few weeks? Is it there's a lot of possibilities here? Is it because he knows the reality of the situation and he looks around and says, yeah, we haven't been good and it's the nature of the business? Is it because Robert Kraft might have had prior conversations with him and he understands that he has not met the standard that Kraft wants him to meet? Is it Belichick actually wants out? Is he looking around and saying, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be here for too long because he might want out. What, what do you think is the reason driving Belichick to share some of this doubt with his staff about his future here? That's a really good question, Nick. And I think the last point that you brought up, um, you know, Belichick possibly wanting out. To me, that's at the forefront. I mean, you know, is it possible that Belichick has caught wind of some of maybe some of the conversations that Kraft's having with people? Um, That's certainly possible because I'm sure a lot of these people that Kraft is talking with used to work for Bill. And I'm sure there's that factor about, you know, Kraft is worried about it getting back to Bill or knowing that it's going to get back to Bill. So that's, that's certainly possible and maybe even likely. But I do think that Belichick possibly wanting out and, you know, we have Kraft looking and seeing, you know, he wants to see greener pastures. You know, maybe Bill is doing some of the same. And, and you know, like I reported a couple of weeks ago, um, teams, I, at least two teams had been sniffing around Belichick, you know, and I'm sure he's some party to that. I doubt direct communication or anything like that. That would be tampering. But, you know, somebody who knows somebody who knows Bill, that sort of thing, uh, you right. know, back channels. Right. You know, could that be going on where all of a sudden, you know, somebody's saying like, hey, why don't you ask Bill and say it's Josh Harrison, Washington. Ask Bill if he would be interested in this and getting paid this. Would he be interested in the conversation? And then Bill suddenly hears that, starts thinking about that. And it's sort of like the way he's he's dealt with players. And this is this is a personality trait of him. When with a player, once he starts imagining you're you're gone, you're pretty much gone yeah. at some point. Like he starts down that road. Like, for example, Wes Welker, when he played under that franchise tag that Bill had no intentions of paying. It was just basically a placeholder to get Welker to agree to a contract extension. Welker called his bluff, signed the franchise tag almost immediately, got paid $10 million for a season, which we know Bill doesn't want to pay to a slot receiver. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, once that happened, then Bill's like, well, you know, uh, now as soon as this is over, maybe I trade Wes at the deadline, you know, whatever, he's gone. And I have Julian next and that sort of thing. Maybe Bill's in the same spot with, you know, possible job like, okay, fine. Robert wants me gone. These teams are reaching out to me. Now I start thinking about like, all right, what kind of staff would I put in place? How would I get alignment? I'm looking at this roster. I'm looking at the salary cap. All of a sudden he starts down that road and maybe he just realizes I don't want to be here anymore. So yeah, I do think, I think that's an interesting point that you bring up. And and it's the first thing that I thought of once you mentioned it. Before we get to the uh, Broncos game, Broncos have made the decision to bench Russell Wilson. Jared Stidham, Stid the Kid, is going to get a shot here the last two weeks. And also another tie with the Patriots here, quarterback-wise from back in the day. Jacoby Brissett is going to take over for Sam Howell. Just uh, any thoughts on those two decisions by those two teams at quarterback? (laughs) Well, 
my my first thought, Nick, and I'm sure you're going to go here, is like, you know, not that these guys are going to be stars or anything like that. And, you know, Jacoby certainly played uh, – he would definitely be a, a, a type of backup guy that I would love to have, you know, as opposed to Bailey Zappi, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Somebody who knows their place and, you know, what have you. But, you know, just think back to Jared Stidham with the Cam Newton year. Yep. Couldn't get a chance, even though they were out of it. Not even a glimpse to see, hey, you know, give the kid a run. You know, Jacoby Brissett did some nice things. He got traded, like, right after Garoppolo, I think it was. And it's just, you just look at a big picture. And to me, hearing those two names just contributes to the just mismanagement at the quarterback position. That Bill has absolutely no idea about quarterbacks, what he needs to do. Uh, how he nurtures them, whether he cares about them, like, you know, but good for those guys to get a chance. I mean, they certainly have their pluses and minuses. Um, I both, I think they're both sort of in the same bucket, sort of like, you know, uh, you know, backup types, spot starter types, uh, types, but, you know, nice to get their shot. As far as Russ, um, I'm sure Jerry Thornton at Barstool has already written the uh, the headline. I haven't looked yet about how the Patriots have broken another team and <laughs> broke Russ Wilson and the Broncos. <laughs> but to me, Nick, this is just – I watched a little bit of film coming – the Broncos coming in and watching the game. And I haven't watched the Patriots' defensive film yet. I've watched the TV copy back. Like, Russell Wilson is done. He is done. He is – he's awful – he any sort of whiff of pressure, um, he looks like a aging heavyweight boxer who doesn't want to get hit anymore. Who's just there for the payday. Now I'm not saying he's there for the payday, but just that his skills have completely eroded. He's not a good fit for that offense. I don't know what offense he would be a good fit for. He was he was terrible in that game until you know he made a few plays. Um, to me, that game said more about the Broncos than it did about the Patriots. And certainly Russ Wilson is at the top of the list where, yeah, it's it's over for him. And, um, you know, I think this is a wise move, move by the Broncos. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. I love the app. I use it all the time, all over the place. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in mass. Hope is here. First online real wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued at non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right, let's jump into that Broncos game, Greg, from uh, Christmas Eve night. When you look at this 30,000 feet view, uh, what does that win 
on Sunday night mean in the big picture for you? Um, not much. Um, you know, we're talking about a Broncos team, and I think we talked about it coming in, or certainly I wrote about this, that the Broncos and the Patriots were sort of in the same realm DVOA-wise. I mean, they were right in sort of the mid-20s um, coming in. The Broncos' defense isn't very good. Um, they're terrible against the run, which surprised. I mean, I just think that the the Broncos sort of stacked the box and brought a lot of pressure against Zappi and – um, you know, I don't really care about the draft pick stuff. That's, that's not for me. I mean, I'm a football analyst. Um, I, I certainly understand that some fans feel a certain way and, um, I'm just more of a, you know, you don't mess with the football gods type of thing. When, when it comes to that, you play it true, you play it straight up as much as possible. I mean, look, I thought Sean Payton completely angered the football gods on the first, on their first possession of the game when, Russ Wilson throws what should have been an interception in the end zone. Mac Wilson happens to drop it, um, sort of traps the ball. And does Sean Payton go, man, that was close. Let's just kick the field goal in three points. No, the moron goes for it on fourth down <laughs> and, and pays the price. I mean, it's just, I thought that was, that was an example of tempting the football gods and you just do not do that. Just, just play it straight up and, and, and take what they give you. Um, you know, no, I, this, this to me is just like every other sort of victory that we've seen from the Patriots over the last couple of years that, uh, that they compete and maybe, you know, come out at the end due to, I thought Belichick out coach Peyton in this game. I thought Bill O'Brien out coach Vance Joseph in this game. Um, I thought, uh, Russ Wilson was just, you know, cooked, um, for the Broncos. Um, so, you know, maybe I underestimated the Patriots. It's just, you know, you and I are in the same boat. I mean, it's Jekyll and Hyde, you don't know what you're going to get out of this team. And, um, I thought that, I thought that they played certainly offensively. I thought they played terrible in the first half, you know, last week it was, they played great in the first half and then played awful in the second half, as we've seen with Zappy. Um, even against the Steelers this week, he flipped it. Um, I thought he was not very good at all in the first half as they scored three points. I thought he was excellent in the second half and, you know, credit to him. He made, he made some plays, the offense made some plays. Um, but at the end of the day, does this change anything? Does it make me think that, you know, you got to keep Bill Belichick or yo, Bailey Zappi could be the quarterback of the future. No, none of those things are true for me after this game. The Broncos were lifeless to the first mm -hmm. two and a half, three quarters of this game. Just, and that's not to take away the effort and the compete level, as we say in hockey with, with the Patriots, because it was there. These guys continue to play hard. And I, I think that says a lot about the culture that's been built in that locker room. It says a lot about most of these guys and how professional they've been. So shout out to them and the coaching staff. They continue to grind, even though this season was lost weeks ago. And I, I do fully appreciate that. But on the other end, man, wow, the, the Broncos just, they, they couldn't get out of their own way. And, and it's, you know, it's missing kicks. It's, it's, you know, special teams, fumbles, you know, gifting touchdowns to the Patriots. The decision early in the game that you mentioned with Sean Payton, it, it just wasn't good. And they finally woke up in the fourth quarter and made it a game. But I thought for a team who was playing, for their playoff lives that they just mostly did not show up, which 
had to be very frustrating for those fans and for the guys who did want to show up. Let's let's drill down on Bailey Zappi, though, here. I know you just touched on it with broad strokes, first half, second half. Specifically, what did you see from him that you didn't like and, and things that you might have liked from him? Okay, so, you know, with Bailey, it's sort of, you know, it's a double-edged sword because he does at times, and I guess you could say a majority of the time, he does a very good job manipulating pocket and dealing with pressure, certainly yeah. much better than Mac Jones. There was a, there was, he had this like little throw. I think it was to, I think it was in the second half, but it was, he, he, he had Demario Douglas and Demario Douglas did one of these, um, you know, one of these Z return routes um, that, you know, went inside and then outside. Yeah. And again, he runs it slow as hell. Like it drives me crazy. I do not remember Julian Edelman and Wes Welker running the route this way. I don't know why he keeps doing it, but it was this little play. I'm not sure it was third down. It might've been second down, but Bailey didn't. He just, he hung in the pocket, took a hit and delivered it. Once Demario finally got on his way and went through the route and got open. Um, you know, that to me is a play that Mac Jones wouldn't make. I don't know. He probably would have made it rookie year, um, but certainly not this season. And there were other plays, you know, the the little plays to, you know, Ezekiel Elliott before the field goal. That was a really j- nice job eluding pressure, stepping up, you know, even the little throw to Mike Gesicki, all those counted to get the game winning field goal. So good job. I mean, he, you know, the, the, the Gesicki touchdown, you know, there wasn't, um, and I think Zolak even said on his call, like, you know, feeling there was pressure. There wasn't really pressure. I thought the offensive line outside of Mafi and at times with Trent Brown, I thought the offensive line did a really nice job dealing with pressure in this game. On that play, there wasn't really pressure. Zappi was reacting to it, anticipating pressure, stepped up, but he bought time for, you know, Gusecki had to go from the left slot all the way over, and he made a nice throw over the top. That was a tremendous, tremendous play. However, Bailey also sometimes, you know, gets into trouble. The first the first snap of the game, that's at least partially on him. Yes, James Ferentz gets moved, but, I mean, it was 3.5 seconds. You don't have all day. And and there was another there was another sack where Bailey tried to spin out of it like he's Lamar Jackson. And, like, he just – sometimes he doesn't know his own limitations. Sometimes he gets away with it. Sometimes he doesn't. But, you know, I thought for the most part, the first half, I did not think he played very well. Um, you know, I thought that the, the 41-yard pass to Demario Douglas on the first play of the second half, to me, that that's luck. That's not – you know – some of the the other throws, some of the other throws to Parker, those those were nicely placed balls. This was just a jump ball. And, you know, good that he came up with it, but that doesn't mean it's good quarterbacking. But I do think – I think he played really well in the – I thought he played excellent in the second half. I had him for six-plus plays, zero-minus plays in the second half. He made winning plays to help them win the game. Um you know, so I thought he did a really good job. I did not think he was very good at all in the first half, and those plays count as well. But um, you know, good job by you know Bailey getting it done and uh, delivering a victory. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm going to get roasted for this, and I could not care less. I feel like the manipulating the pocket thing with Bailey. It's true. But the idea that Mac didn't do that is is not true. I specifically remember week one against the Philadelphia Eagles. I had posted during that game, the most impressive part of this game from Mac Jones tonight has been his manipulation of the pocket. Uh, I, I saw multiple people say that and tweet that after that game. And we forget those things, which is fine because Mac went off the rails. He broke and we all know how it ended. But Mac was making those plays early in the season. He, I, I know people want to say he did nothing right this year. I understand it. I do. Right. I, I, I understand mm-hmm. it. Go back and watch week one. Go back and watch week one with a nonstop pressure from that Eagles defensive line and watch how Mac Jones did a great job. And and I'm not, if he didn't, I wouldn't say it. He did a great job moving within the pocket, extending plays, buying extra time. He did all of that against the Eagles. Yes. He threw the terrible pick six off the hands of Bourne. We all saw it. We get it. My point is this. When you are a quarterback, even though Bailey Zappi is athletically better and more agile than Mac Jones, when that is not kind of your natural gift, it's the balancing issue. Mac Jones, I think, was successful in week one moving around and, and extending plays. So he thought he could do that every single week. He thought that became a, a strong point within his game. And soon what happened was those extension of plays and him manipula- manipulating the pocket led to bad turnovers. And it came back to bite him in the ass because he kind of fell for that trap. He felt like he needed to do it to get away from the pressure. He was giving his team a chance to win, and he just wasn't gifted enough to consistently execute that. So far, Bailey has done a better job at consistently executing those kinds of plays. However, I do think, Greg, and I don't know if you agree with it, we have to continue to evaluate Bailey week to week because I think it's an accumulation. When you have limited gifts, it's not he can't do it ever. It's does he keep trying to do it? And the more he does it, the more in trouble he gets. That's what ended Mac Jones this season. It wasn't the fact that he could never do it. It was the fact that he fell into thinking he could do it, tried to do it over and over and over again, and kept burying himself. Zappy has to stay away from that. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that. And I think that, you know, I would take it, you know, a step further and say, like, you know, people people are going to say whatever they're going to say about you know, Mac Jones and your, your, your first point is absolutely correct. You know, and we talked about it earlier in the season that for the first two or three games, you know, and, and then dating back to last year, Mac Jones was playing winning football. He was, that's just, that's just the way when he graded out, he, he played winning football and then it started to go downhill. And so as a quarterback, you know, you can play, you can play in spurts, 
you know, but uh, the, the test is, you know, look at Tommy DeVito, look at, you know, Cooper Rush, look at, you know, what, you know, any sort of borderline guy that it's, you could do it in spurts. The test is, you know, longevity and like, you know, Mac to me, in my opinion, and people will disagree. Some will say he always sucked or he always did this and he doesn't have any guts and he didn't do this. And this is Alabama, blah, blah, whatever. I can just tell you what I see on film and what I saw on film was what I see in a lot of young quarterbacks who don't get protected, who the, 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 the position is not nurtured and, you know, giving them what they need and, 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 you know, failures on the offensive line and pressure and all this stuff where it was just an accumulation where Mac finally broke. And that came over time. It wasn't immediate. It wasn't there from the beginning of the season, the, the Eagles and the dolphins, he played pretty good football against those teams. Um, you know, zappy, he doesn't have any of that baggage. He doesn't have the Matt Patricia, you know, baggage in changing schemes. He doesn't have, you know, the, the, the pressure week after week after week. Yeah. You know, there's been some big pressure, some big hits, but he doesn't have what Mac has. And so, you know, the more he plays, the more he gets uh, subjected to that, you know, he's probably going to succumb to some of the same things and, and bad habits are definitely included. And just one last note, if I'm sure many people, cause the ratings were through the roof. I'm sure many people watch Patrick Mahomes on Christmas day. And I am not saying Patrick Mahomes is anywhere near blah, 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 blah. The disclaimer, cause people can aggregate and they'll pull one second of what you say and turn it into something. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. Everybody knows that. However, he was god-awful on Christmas. God-awful. And if you go back to the Super Bowl against the Buccaneers, he wasn't very good. There's a common denominator with both of those games. Patrick running for his life from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. So even the best, even the guy that has these superior athletic and physical traits can succumb to games and moments and stretches of playing terrible football, making terrible decisions. It's, can you get back to what you were? Mac lost it, could never get back to even the good Mac or the average Mac. He was off the rails. He was off the rails. You got to see how guys like Zappy will, will react to that and how he will counter an, just an absolute nightmare of a game because he's had good halves. He's had bad halves. What happens when he's terrible for all 60 minutes? What's he look like the next week? Because that's when things fall apart. The Tommy DeVitos, the Matt Flynn's, the other guys that we can name. By the way, one last question I have for you about the Broncos game. How much credit should Bill O'Brien get? Uh, I, I think he should get a fair amount. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's equal parts Bill O'Brien and also Vance Joseph, like just losing the battle. I thought that, you know, the amount of pressure that Vance Joseph brought in that game um, – I thought it was a detriment. I don't think it was very bright. I think that, you know, with a guy like Bailey Zappi, you need to, the more you can cloud the reads, uh, the better it is. And, you know, him bringing so much pressure and using so much man coverage or like soft zone behind it, it made it easy for Zappi to read out these plays. You know, the 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 big play to Devontae Parker to set up the field goal, um, you know, he didn't bring pressure, but, you know, they got caught in between and then, you know, Bailey read the one-on-one on the outside and just, you know, threw up a back shoulder pass, you know, win some, lose some, he hit, he hit one in that game. He missed a couple in that game. Um, you know, but I, I do think that, um, I, I, I don't think Vance Joseph, he's good. 
he's good against um you know teams that he knows teams that the Broncos have an edge on he's always sort of been that way he brings a bunch of pressure I just thought that it it, it really it really played to Zappy's strengths the way he played this game and you know Bill O'Brien I thought did a really good job especially at halftime from halftime he obviously made good halftime adjustments you know yes they they scored the points by the way did you love you know did you love it as much as I did during the broadcast that Rich Eisen is going on and on about the 20 points that the Patriots had scored <laughs> and like about how it was this huge offense ex- explosion and seven points were given to the Patriots by the Broncos on a kickoff they only scored you know you know what was it they scored one two Two touchdowns? Was that it? They scored two offensive touchdowns in the game, and you would have thought they were the greatest show on turf <laughs> with the way Rich Eisen was going. But I thought that Bill O'Brien went in. They're like, all right, this is what Vance is doing. Let's go, um, you know, shotgun empty. He's doing X, Y, and Z. Let's have this. Like, there were there were a lot of he, – he gave Bailey a lot of good answers to the test in the second half, and, and you know, credit, Bailey executed. Yeah, I mean, you're barely over 20 points if it's even if you made the field goal that Ryland missed earlier in the game. I, I think I, it was like six or seven three and outs for the offense against the Broncos on, on Sunday night. It's not like yep. it's been so bad that any hint of offense is like water to the people who have been walking across the desert dying for a drink that a touchdown yep. happens. It's like, ah. Hallelujah. We're all and everybody's running to the hills that Bailey Zappi's like it's all relative. Uh Greg hasn't watched a defensive film yet. He's watched most of the TV copy, as he mentioned. So we'll save any defensive thoughts from Greg for later in the week. Uh we will get to the three up, three down quickly in a minute. But first, check them out at BSJ, 50 bucks for the year. Uh Bedard Giardi with their Patriots coverage and all the other guys that do great work over there. You can check them out at BSJ, 50 bucks for the year. And of course. We remind you this episode is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. New customers receive $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. All right, Greg, three up. What'd you got? Uh, Christian Barmore. I mean, <laughs> the dude is just a beast. We talk about him every week. I mean, all pro, all pro know, level. He- yeah, he's just gone to another level, and I I like how you know all the everybody else is asking about Barmore, and now they're talking about his ability in the run game. Where listeners to this podcast and readers of BSJ have been uh, were put on notice about Christian Barmore's improved play against the run weeks ago, and um, to me, I, it jumped out to me that as soon as they had the turnover, they go out there. It's first and goal for the Broncos, and you know which you figure is a heavy run situation for the Broncos and guess who's out there on the defensive line Christian Barmore that should tell you everything you need to know about how how he's evolved and improved in the coach's eyes um I I'm gonna cheat a little bit um to give the zappy heads um their flowers (laughs) a little bit here and I'm gonna say Bailey Zappy in the second half um for the game he he I'm sorry. I know a lot of people, well, he did this in the fourth quarter and he didn't like, I'm sorry. I don't grade it that way. Every, every play means the same. Bailey could have lost, could have lost the game on the first play of the game, holding the ball for too damn long. Um, And you know, that shouldn't be absolved. And so um, Bailey Zappi in the second half, I thought was excellent. And then 
I was sort of going in between. There's a bunch of guys here, but I'm going to go with Zeke, especially just for the touchdown. And he had some hard yards. Uh, you know, that touchdown was absurd. It was a complete, it was a complete bust by the Broncos. And, uh, and so I'm going to go with Zeke and I'm also going to put in um, Vidarian, Vidarian low. I just want to give a shout out. Cause I thought he did an excellent job uh, when he got in there. Mm, Vidarian low love in 2023, never expected. Uh, I, I would just like to say too about Zappi. I gave him credit. Yeah, I really do give him credit. The circumstances were not great for him. You know, the team's on the road. It's Christmas Eve night. No Ramondre Stevenson, no Juju, no Hunter Henry rotating on the left side of the offensive line. Point. On. Yep. And, you know, I thought, again, given the circumstances, he stepped up. He played well enough and, and credit to him. And he deserves to play out the rest of this season. And we'll see what happens the next couple of weeks. All right. You're three down, Greg. Would you say you're on cloud nine? Nick cloud nine oh, Zappy's performance. No, <laughs> I won't. Uh, three down Antonio Maffi. Um, look, I think he has the makings of a good player. We know that he played defensive tackle for a while in college. Um, I don't know what his issue is, but he gets worse as the game goes on. I, I like, he's not exactly an Adonis in the locker room. I'll just say that. So maybe conditioning is an issue for him. But uh, he was horrible in this game. Uh, Juwan Bentley, I did not think was very good. He looked tired to me, missed a bunch of tackles in the game. Uh, I thought the Broncos were at their best when they were using that quick little 28 running back against Tavai yeah. and um, Bentley. I don't know why more teams didn't. Do. If I game plan against the Patriots, I would get – I would make sure those linebackers on the field, and then I would have little running backs running all over the oh, place. Oh, wait until Cook, Cook this weekend is going to be a pretty interesting challenge for Buffalo. He, he's got it going a little bit, and he's he's a nightmare in, in, in space. And uh, my other third down is uh, Trent Brown. Um, look, I'm not going to kill the guy because I don't know where he is health-wise. Um, we know he's been going through some things. I'll just say his film was god-awful in this game. I can't tell you. It's because he's checked out or what have you. And I don't want to be unfair to the guy because I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But I'll just say his film was awful in this game, including sometimes when he was just standing around doing nothing. All right. So there you have it. That's Greg Bedard's breakdown of the uh, offensive side of things. Three up, three down. Uh, We're back, of course, to get any thoughts from Greg about the defense and the Buffalo Bills preview as they get ready to play. Uh, this Sunday at 1 o'clock. Until then, be well, be safe, have some fun. It is the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cap.